0: Hi, welcome to the 12th House Podcast. I'm Michelle on your host and the head witch in charge here at Holisticism, and I am so excited that you're here today. I'm really excited for today's episode and really excited for you to hear our guest. I got the chance to talk to Amy Ann Cadwell of The Good Trade. Amy Ann is the founder and CEO of The Good Trade, which is a website and online community that... Creates content around slow-living, eco-conscious, and sustainable fashion, beauty, design, and has an awesome social media presence and email list. Oh my gosh, they have such a cute daily email. It's like five fun things that are will brighten your day. It's like super short and adorable, and I love it. I always open it and read it. Um, actually, to be honest with you, sometimes I like wait for the whole week, and then I open all of them on Friday. <laughs> What's wrong with me, uh, but I'm really excited that we got a, the. Ch- I got the chance to talk to Amy Ann for a lot of reasons. First, because I think she's brilliant, and she's super busy. She's a new mom. She's running this awesome company, The Good Trade. And second, because I think she's such a beautiful example of what are we talking about this month, which is sort of people who are wellness industry. <laughs> Insider outsiders, and I think if you're listening to you know any holisticism content, you probably consider yourself to be a wellness industry outsider, aka you're into wellness and well-being, but you don't always drink the green juice, Kool Aid over here. You know, you're like a little bit of a side eye at the industry. I don't know, cool questions about the hypocrisy that we see. Questioning things, which is good. So you're gonna love Amy Anne because she she fits right in with us. But I really wanted to talk to Amy Ann about choosing to run a very successful business differently. And in this episode, we talk about managing a team, we talk about growing a company mindfully, we talk about angel investing, and Amy Ann's very unique, very antithetical to many people's view on angel investing. We're all over the map on business and making different choices, but I really admire Amy Ann's integrity to herself and her strength of conviction in doing what she believes in, even when other people maybe would say that's impossible or you can't do that or that's not the way to do things. And she doesn't talk about it in this episode. And this is another reason why she's such a baddie (laughs) and and like why I wanted to have her on the podcast, because it's one thing to say like, oh, I want to run a business differently. I want to make different choices and then have a business that is, you know, moderately successful and the good trade are so successful. And she does not talk about it. To give you an idea of how successful the good trade is, Goop, you know, the Gwyneth Paltrow vehicle has about one and a half million unique visitors on their website every month okay, great. That's a lot. That's a lot. But you know, like they've got a bunch of venture money and ads and they have this huge social media following and they're spending a lot of money driving traffic to their site. Amy Ann and The Good Trade have over a million uniques on their website every month. And I can almost guarantee you that they are not spending the same amount of money as Goop is. And I'm 99% sure that Amy Ann bootstrapped the company herself meaning she doesn't really have outside investors and she certainly doesn't have um, millions of dollars of venture capital in her back pocket and that is really impressive period but to me it's it's even more impressive that she just doesn't really talk about that that that's not what she leads with as what her why she's expert or why she's confident in herself or why she believes in herself she believes in herself because she does And I would argue that her conviction, her self-conviction isn't because she's seen her work be successful. She has self-conviction and that's why she's successful. And I think that that's really cool. And she would probably, I'm not blowing up her spot because you could find these numbers online if you know how to research. And these are, you know, unsubstantiated. So they're from a third party. But I'll, either way, it's endlessly impressive to me, and I think it's really cool. So I want you to, <laughs> I want you to enjoy this episode. Uh, but I, I just want to like throw that out there that in this world of like girl bossing, and I don't know if anyone read the article in the cut about the demise of the girl boss and sort of hustle culture, and there's been a lot of conversation about that. I think. It's been discourse that's been really interesting on both sides of the of the coin. And it is a breath of fresh air when you meet someone like Amy Ann. And there are people out there who are running these incredible businesses in integrity with what they believe in. And it just goes to show you that you don't have to settle and you can still like have everything that you want. I think just, it's so cool. So enjoy this episode. I know that I, it really like blew my mind. And also I I feel very self-conscious in this episode because I talk about how difficult it is to be a manager. I find it to be really, really hard just for me as a, as a person (laughs) because in in my own history, and and maybe we'll talk about that another time. I don't know, text us and let us know if you want to hear about like, manager trauma was anyone else like a manager of a business when they were 20 years old and they absolutely should not have been and it totally ruined them for like a decade because i was and like it, it made me really scared to hire anyone and be responsible for anyone (laughs) for a really long time. But maybe I'll talk about that at another time. I don't know. It's like very niche. So anyways, enjoy this episode. And we are giving away a spot in the Notion for Magical Baddies Spells and Systems launching in October. So screenshot your review of this podcast, send it to our text line, and you'll be entered to win. And we'll let you know who wins by the end of September. So you'll have plenty of time before Notion for Magical Baddies Spells and Systems goes live mid-October. Notion for Magical Baddies Systems and Spells. Is our course on building systems that's geared towards people with ADHD, squiggly brains. And as a team, where many of us have ADHD, this class was truly a delight to make and we've gotten just such incredible feedback about it and we're so excited to run it again. It's a live course. It's really, really fun. And by the end, you learn how to make systems in every element of your life, which is really cool. So if you want to win a free spot, screenshot your review, send it to the text line and may the luckiest person win. All right, with that, here's the episode. Hi, Amy Ann. It's so good to see you. So
1: good to see you too.
0: The last time we were on a Zoom call together or we were video calling was at the very beginning of the pandemic. I think you maybe were freshly pregnant, but had not announced it yet. And now you have a full human being. (laughs) I
1: do. She's four months old. She's beautiful. And it's totally a pretty wild transition.
0: I can only only imagine what it's like to go through pregnancy and giving birth during a global pandemic and also running your business, which is, you know this like the good trade is like this booming media company and it you make it look so easy from the outside so like what's your secret
1: an amazing team i think (laughs) just like having the right people in the right roles is so essential and it it's it's funny you say that because Taking a maternity leave was such a wonderful moment for me to take everything off my plate for a short time. I I really only took six weeks totally off, but it was such a wonderful time to see, like, what is it actually essential that I do and what can I hand off to my incredibly capable team? And it was such a great experience. Mm -hmm. I feel like when I came back, I was like, so... I'm not going to put this back on my plate, right? Like, you're going to run this.
0: So it's like, needed- permanently your job now, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Everyone needed promotions and everyone uh, has been running with new responsibilities since I've been back in. And it's been a really nice, like, reset. Hmm.
0: I bet. I mean... How did you, I'm just so selfishly curious, how did you even go about planning for your maternity leave? Were you, was it something that you were fearing? Because I'll speak from the eye, you know, we obviously run our own businesses. I got healthcare for our company and I'm setting maternity policies like Mm -hmm. selfishly with myself in mind, Mm -hmm. right? Of like, I got to make sure that I can like take care of my family and myself. And like, I have all the time with my future kids. If, you know, God willing, I get to have, I get to have them. Um, How can I give myself like, not just the bare minimum, but like the most amazing postpartum experience and feel supported. And is that possible?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's such an important question. And I spent a lot of time thinking about it and planning for it. You know, obviously that that's a nice aspect of pregnancy is you do have <laughs> a little bit of time. And for me, I knew that I needed for my own just like where this stage of the business is at, my own well-being, I needed to not have an extremely long leave that was going to mm. be more stressful for me. And I think our team, but what I was able to do was like, I've had a very slow transition back into full-time work. So I'm at four Mm. months now. I leave every day by three o'clock, pretty much like no holds bar. I'm always out. And that's really wonderful. And I think that's a little bit, you know, a benefit to having the flexibility of running your own company, being an entrepreneur solo entrepreneur is like having that flexibility and I'm looking at actually building that into our maternity leave policy as well and exploring that for our team we're all women we're all in our 30s late 20s early 30s so it's kind of a life stage where I think although I'm the first to have a child on our team I am sure I won't be the only Um, and, and I want to make this as you know most hospitable as possible place to be to have to have a child and you know it's just like such a different experience for the parent who is is birthing the the child and there's so much like physical and emotional and mental recovery that needs to happen while you're like thrown into the most intense and grueling kind of experience of lack of sleep and if you're breastfeeding and all of that so anyways it was really wonderful for me to have like six weeks totally out my husband was able to take the same he works in a corporate role so we just like totally shared that time together it was very sacred very protected. I had to like file taxes during that time but other than that there wasn't like a lot (laughs) that I had to do um and then, you know, and then the transition back end has been gradual and thoughtful and and I hope to kind of create that for our team as well.
0: I would expect nothing less because I feel like that's the ethics and the tenets of the good trade, yeah. you know, is to be intentional, conscientious, thoughtful and not operate from a place of like urgency totally. and fluster totally. and to really be – to operate from choice making like empowered choice making and it's such a privilege i think to be able to do that as a business owner but and also like you clearly have set up the structures to allow you to do that so i'm so curious like where you learned where you learned that because so much of entrepreneurship i feel like people really you know they glorify the hustle and the grind and the like always answering emails on emergency. And I don't think we're often taught to have calm businesses.
1: I mean, I think one of the reasons that I was drawn to entrepreneurship came from this desire to like not work around the
0: clock for someone else's vision. (laughs) But for your vision. Yeah, totally. But I'm still going to work around the clock. (laughs) Yes. But I think for at
1: least in my experience of entrepreneurship, it's like The early years were very much that, you know, the first like three, even five years of the business looked a lot different than getting closer to like year eight through 10. And a lot of that is building a team. It takes time to build a really efficient, wonderful team that works well together and, you know, is very weight bearing and has a lot of capacity. And that takes years and years to like develop people and the right people, even for a small team we're just under 10, and that's taken me, like, the better part of a decade to build, you know? And I think, I think having that, like, desire for moderation, for balance, it comes from this place of personally, like, that's the life that I really want to live, and I'm not very efficient or effective when I'm exhausted. And I learned that early on, too, you know, like, I just can't work more than <laughs> certain I can't take on more pressure than I can take on it shows up in my body it shows up in my my mind and mental capacity and so I think that idea of like wellness and balance has been a part of our our company and our culture from the very beginning and important to us to like maintain and explore obviously with the pandemic like We had to explore a totally different way of working outside of the studio, outside of being together in an office. And that was like a curveball of like, how do we maintain professional workflow, but also boundaries? How do we restore in this like really crazy time? So, you know, it's fluid.
0: Yeah. The team part is so challenging, I think, to find the right people for the right positions Especially, you know, so many entrepreneurs are like Swiss Army knives, right? They can kind of do everything, and they learn. You have to learn how to do everything when you first get started, and the transition into all right. In order to do what I really need to do and to scale, I need to hire people who are way better than me in certain certain areas, and also manage them, and also how can I pay them and that is such a big transition and I remember uh, a CEO that I worked with, one of the startups I worked at, told me that every six months the, the company completely changes. It's like the DNA of the company changes and he was right. He was like, you know, that means that like you have to fire some people who right. you needed a year ago who were like integral to the business right. because it's a completely different company. Yeah. It kind of sounds like you, went, you just went through that transition as you sort of entered the threshold into motherhood.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was exactly that. It was a moment to like take stock again of getting back to basics. Like, What are we doing that's working? What do we do well? What do we do that no one else does as well as us in this space? Mm. How do we maximize that? How do we build on that? I think your point of team transitions is an excellent one. It's one of the maybe kindest and most efficient things that we've done during the last several years is let people go at different times and like they weren't thriving on the team, maybe not their fault, but maybe the way that the company, like the direction that we needed to go. And it's only happened a couple of times for us, but it's been something that has really helped accelerate our growth and really taking pressure off of the other team members. I think that there's, mm. A, a real importance that everyone on the team can understand everyone else's role and the importance of everyone else's role, especially when you're a team of under 10 or 15 people. Mm. In order to work together, it's like you all need to feel that you're running at the same pace, you have clear defined lanes that you're each running in, you can work collaboratively, but everyone's like engaged and working towards like team metrics together. And I think that's been, like, one of the more painful lessons to learn, but really valuable and important.
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm sure you have horror stories and also ones that went much better. It's always – it's – Yeah. Firing people sucks. Like, or yeah. not even firing, just, like, moving – transitioning someone out of a role. Totally is uncomfortable and you're right, it's usually for the better of everyone involved and it's kind of like going through a breakup where you're like totally this totally we both need this, but it hurts.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think there have been a couple of times when we've been able to move people into a different place on the team. And that's always Mm. much more fun. (laughs) You know? It's (laughs) always way more um a much more positive conversation to see like you know we're going in a different direction with the company but like this role let's change your job job description are you open to exploring a, a totally different kind of lens for your role and I've hired for people not necessarily roles you know when there's a person that yeah. brings a strong skill set shares our values is a team player then they join the team and then they can be around there have been people that it just like didn't it was no longer working or it didn't work within their trial period and that's something that I've learned is like we have a 90-day trial period someone comes on as an employee Mm. but there's a 90-day review we talk about it as the time of like we're making sure it's a good fit for us you're making sure it's a good fit for you you know and that has been much easier to go separate ways within that period because I think, you know, pretty quickly, like, whether the fit is right, at least if you do have a clear, defined role that you're not, you know, changing that role. But sometimes it takes working together for a few weeks or a month. Some We do extensive interviews, like people interview with multiple people on our team before they're on our team, but then working styles might just emerge. And so we you know, we've had... People that like really needed a high, high level of collaboration, like needed to have their work, needed to pull in another team member on like, you know, every kind of layer or level of their work.
0: Can you look over this email before I send it? Exactly.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Oh, that's tough for us at our stage. Like there's a fit for that person somewhere, but for Mm. us, we need like, Everybody to be kind of a self-starter, kind of get a project from like aided at least like X, Y, <laughs> yeah. and so not everybody has the experience for that or that's their personality.
0: Yeah, and on a smaller team, everything is amplified. Absolutely. So those gaps are because no one's going to pick up the slack. And also you see this either is working or this is definitely not working, I think, when you have a smaller team.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And the team feels it too. You know, And it's like I think of my job as supporting everyone on our team, you know, and if the Mm -hmm. roles that I've hired to be support people for some of the, the roles that are reporting directly to me aren't actually supporting them. That's on me. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to figure out how to support all of my key players. And so that can be a lot of time and energy. <laughs> 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 the, right, yes. the right people to support the team and make them feel uh, like they're set up for success.
0: How long has a good trade been around?
1: We are at seven years. Yeah, just a little bit.
0: Wow. Yeah. It seems like the further you get away from those sort of initial stages as a CEO, the more you really are managing – you're spending your time managing people yeah. and managing feelings, yeah. which is okay because you need to have that um, emotional intelligence to do so. But it can be a, a tough transition for I think a lot of solo people who started as solopreneurs who are like, but I – do this because I love to create yeah. or I love to make work.
1: Really um, big transition for me because I, yeah. I I entered this as a practitioner. Like I loved writing, creating. I was really good at SEO. I thought very mm-hmm. strategically of virality of content, all of that. And I love to get back to all of that. You know, like I love. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I do is I make sure I have time on my calendar every week to like do the work you know, to like Hmm. explore our search rankings, to look at traffic trends, to look at internet virality directions, you know, all of that is like actually so fun for me. And I think just having two or three hours a week to be able to spend on that has helped keep me in touch with all of that and really like fueled my energy to be able to manage on the other side. I think managing a team, has been incredibly rewarding, but it's also like requires so much more from me emotionally, spiritually, physically than the work work. <laughs> in <quotes. laughs>
0: Totally, yeah. totally. It's not like our natural zone of genius. Totally. And so that it does take more work for us or more efforting. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it's not As or more rewarding, but yeah, when it's when you have to work a little bit harder, it definitely takes more energy from you.
1: Yeah, and I'm—I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm much more introverted than extroverted, and so Mm -hmm. I'm. I'll come away from a meeting with a team member and feel like it was wonderful and also really difficult. You know, to
0: like
1: (laughs) my. Bring like a positive, it just just like to summon the energy to like make the eye contact and be gentle and <laughs> like I'm I'm making it sound that I don't love it. I do love. It. I just like, no, but like this back.
0: is so real. Like making eye contact, <laughs> like reminding yourself, you know, to, like, like yes, you know, I have to make. I can, I shouldn't be typing during this. Absolutely. I need to be like point you know, my body you know, towards this person, you know, nod, you know, smile. You know, <laughs> Yes, I completely can relate to that. And so much of your job as the leader of the team is to like, sort of rally the troops and keep morale up. And almost be psychic about what the next thing is what the next need is going to be I imagine it's very much like being a parent because you're just trying to predict like how can I support this living breathing thing so it's the happiest the healthiest and can do what it's supposed to do and that means that you have to almost have these extra sensors up of all right this person is a tiny bit off today I know that I have a hundred things on my to-do list but we should go do a coffee walk like we should just go walk and talk and like pull them off their project for today and just like give them the day off and that stuff is to me it's really hard it's really hard for me because I just like want to put my head down and like do my work and I like love blasting through things and I also want to take care of my people because at the end of the day that's the type of business and just overall worldview that we're trying to create right you're not building extractive businesses meaning they don't extract materials from the world but also like the souls of people we don't want to perpetuate the parts of capitalism that we're super critical of and we also have to like live in this world of capitalism Run a business and those things feel at odds so often that I don't know if you've ever felt this, but I'm like, I get why people don't do this. Like, I get why this isn't business as (laughs) usual, you know, to like decide to run a business this way because it's really hard. Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there are wonderful resources, but there's not ever a playbook for your specific company or team. And so there is a high degree of like intuitive intelligence needed to be able to navigate that. And I feel that one thing that's been so meaningful for me, and I keep bringing this back to my team, is to bring on team members that are good at caring for each other has taken some of that beat off with me. And I have one team member that's been with us the longest, and I absolutely trust her to like have eyes on the rest of the team as well of like, Hey, this person, you know, she'll come to me and say like, this person's overwhelmed or this person, like, you know, mm. there were some tears in our one one And I'm like, thank you for that. It helps me not to feel alone in it because sometimes you can feel alone and caring for yeah. different personalities, but it also helps to, I think, diversify that load and make sure that that, Everyone that comes onto our team is like extremely kind, extremely gentle, like, absolutely. One thing I, I watch in the interview process is, am I getting a sense that they would ever speak negatively about like their former team members or em- employers? Because here it's like, We speak really highly of each other. There is no room for like back channeling about so-and-so. Like we're a tight team. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's a high level of like respect and professionalism in how we interact with each other. And that really helps me like take the pressure off of me to be on top of everyone's feelings. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When it's solely your responsibility. Yeah, it's impossible. Like you're setting yourself up for failure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other thing too about – I mean, being a manager of people is that like you're failing a lot <laughs> and that's really hard <laughs> and you hear about it when you fail, yeah. you know, and it's worse than like, you know, sending the wrong email subject line because it's yeah. someone's feelings yeah. and that's hard, but it's also such a good challenge. And to your point, I don't think there's a playbook. I don't think that there's a manager's Bible that, out there that shows you how to do this. It really is so intuitive. And I think that that's why off uh, companies and teams that are sort of pulling themselves away from sort of patriarchal values and the ideas of professionalism that exist within the corporate world do this so much better. And still, it feels like often an uphill battle, right, where you have to explain why these things are important. But it's clear, like, look at your thriving business. It's clear that this methodology works. Mm -hmm. But I know that you're an angel investor. Do you bring this same perspective when you're looking at companies that you invest in? Does it matter to you that they sort of have this sort of same philosophy around the work that you do?
1: Absolutely. And that's really why I started investing was because I felt that traditional venture isn't always looking for some of the softer, more mission-driven qualities in a company. And I think those, like, I'm willing to bet on those, you know, literally. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I think even for me too, in starting the good trade, we have had over the last seven, eight years, like a ton of interest in investment in the company. And I, I've been hesitant to ever, we've, we've never taken investment, partly because like, I never saw, I was never presented with an investor that I thought would be as committed to our values as I am, you know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I wanted with angel investing to like give that to a, a me at a younger stage, you know, at an earlier stage. Mm. And that's been really meaningful. And I think a lot of investors talk about you're investing in people. I think that that's very generally like the lens and thesis and approach that a lot of investors take. But I certainly take that approach as well it's like yes are there solid financials and a solid proof of you know product market fit and, and whatever all of those metrics kind of range depending on the stage of the company but the person is so important because as we're saying the first couple of people are both the practitioners but then in the long run ultimately like the creators of the culture, the maintainers of the people that are a part mm-hmm. of that business. So looking for people that are equally committed to the values of, of not just sustainability and not just mission-driven work, but also kindness and slowness at times and, mm. and things like that that I think are effective over the long term. Almost all of the companies that I'm invested in or have even talked to are Canadian. <laughs> and I find really this, funny because I think there's like a slightly different cultural value that resonates for me. And it's like a little bit more community focused, just this kind of kind, gentle demeanor than you find even in (laughs) Southern California or certainly San Francisco and New York. So you find
0: your niche. That's (laughs) so interesting, Canadian companies. I mean, to your point, you know, so often investors say, yes, we invest in people. Um, We invest in the founder. But that's because the founder's a fucking shark, you know. The founder's mm-hmm. like, I will sell my mother to make this company yes, yes. work, you know. <laughs> totally.
1: Or the founder looks exactly like
0: Allbirds <laughs> like, and Vest yeah, and. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, mm. do you have like co-angels that you invest in? Do you have people who sort of amplify your investment? For I, I, I or building, do You feel like you're doing this by yourself?
1: Building that network, I think, similarly really to entrepreneurship. You know, it takes time to like find the right people and the right the right kind of values i I have a couple of venture firms that do early stage that will like be a feeder for me send me emails of people they're interested in that maybe aren't big enough for their size yet so they're like here you test them out (laughs) <laughs> if more interested. Um, but that's been really wonderful to to have just access to it.
0: Yeah, I think that that area of business is one that's so mysterious to so many founders. Mm-hmm. And the weird sort of like social dance that happens yeah. in raising money is really a foreign concept to many people, especially those who... Haven't gone, you know, grown up in the tech world. Yeah. Grown up by that, I just mean they, they haven't operated in that space. Yeah. That was one of the weirdest things for me when I was raising money, was like seeing what people said publicly and then sitting down with other founders mm-hmm. who were like me or even VCs who are friends and they were like, no, this is how you do it. It was almost like a game, like a game of dating. One
1: thing um, I look for when I'm investing in a company is whether or not they ask for my references. So whether or not they're asking to speak with other companies that I've invested in. And I think that that makes a lot of sense as a founder to like Mm -hmm. ask for that from the, from, you know, a potential investor. And that's a great way to get a sense for like, how are they going to operate once a deal is signed? Like, How involved can I expect this person to be? What types of involvement are they going to look for? And for the deals that I've done, and I would recommend this to other founders and other investment investors, it's like, have something kind of clearly written out, like the companies I've worked with. It's like, you know, I'll be available one hour a month to consult on X, Y, Z, and I'm a pretty hands-off. I'm not, like, mm-hmm. checking in on companies. That's not my style, and I let people know that, you know? Yeah. So I think, like, asking it as many questions on both sides to make sure that it's a fantastic fit is, like, going to be worth it in the long run.
0: I think so many people, when they're raising money, think that they have nothing of value to give, right? Mm-hmm. They're asking for money. Yeah. and. It's reminds me a lot of like the entertainment space where Mm -hmm. if you're an actor, an actress or a dancer, you're just like crossing your fingers, hoping someone likes you and sees you. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You have to go in knowing that you have the valuable thing. You have the company and the idea and the innovation and the grit. And investors would be lucky to invest in you and you and that's really also very tricky to sort of navigate because you don't want to come in like so swaggy that you turn people off, yeah, right?
1: Sure. Yeah, and I've experienced that entire range from the yeah. investor standpoint of people coming in. I'm like, oh no, don't be meek here. Like you have, <laughs> ask for more money, put a minimum on the investment amount, you know, be, be yeah. aware that you're, you're, you are holding something of value even if it's still in its infancy. And then there is been there have been people that are like not interested in working with me because of the dollar amount, which is absolutely hundred percent okay. But like, don't burn bridges. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I might have a bigger fish that I can introduce them to. There's more yep. investment money than there are companies that are available, and and connecting is hard. It's hard to find the right investors and the right companies. and But I think that there is a lot of investor money out there, much more than I maybe ever imagined or realized. These investors are like, ah, give me deal flow. Like I want more. I want to see yes. more portfolios. And so- I think founders should be aware that, like, if they if they have a good idea, if they have a solid plan, if they have a little bit of proof of concept, like, there's going to be investors that are interested.
0: That's so true, and a good great piece, piece of advice that I can't take credit for, but someone gave me when I was raising money was, you know, money is just money. Yeah. Money is exactly. neutral, so yeah. you can get money from so many people. <laughs> you want to get and see what other value your investor can give you. And that's like the values that you have and the way that you hold space and the way that you run your company. So many CEOs would be so lucky to learn and have a structure from you of how to do that. And that's more, I think that that's like more important than any dollar amount is that can like completely change the trajectory of your business, who your investors are connected to, how they run their businesses and how they're going to support you when things are really hard because it's not easy. And we we place too much emphasis on the dollar amount that someone can give us, I think sometimes.
1: I think so too. I think it's absolutely more about the relationship. And Ultimately, unless you're building a company that needs like massive scale right away, it's way more important to just like have good fundamentals than it is to have a lot of cash. And I think a lot of Mm -hmm. cash can actually like totally cripple a company that would have been successful otherwise if they had moved more slowly. And so too much money is worse than not enough money sometimes. (laughs) So I think you're really looking for strategic partners. In your investors. And that's that's probably been my main like regret or bummer about not taking on investors for the good trade, is I don't have this built-in like mentorship and advisorship. We have advisors, but they're not financially invested in the company. And so like they have a different level of buy-in and ownership.
0: Totally. And yeah, when you have investors who maybe have like exited a business like the one that you've run that is an invaluable. They know what they're doing.
1: Absolutely. Yes.
0: I think everything you're saying is spot on. And I think really the future of investment is going to be less VC. It's going to be more things like uh, the Calm Company, which is a shared earnings agreement. So less predatory terms for companies. Yeah. Which is really cool. And also there's a, a payout, of course, for an investor because listen, like most of the time that's what investors are looking for, right? Is They want to get a return on their money because investing in a company is incredibly risky. If you really wanted to grow your wealth in a stable way, it would be you'd invest in like the market, right? Right. Or like you'd invest in your own company and you would, you know, scale in that way. So investing in a business is super, super risky, but also can have like these amazing exponential you know, return on your investment. If you invest in just one company that does well, even if you angel invest in 50 companies that could like earn you all of your money back times 10. And I think that we're kind of actually moving away from that perspective and we're moving more into people being interested in in investing in lifestyle businesses and in people and in creating these sort of like this new paradigm around business. And I'm so curious about that. And also, like to see that happen?
1: I think the decentralization of investment capital is exactly where we're headed, like you're seeing. And it is the right direction because it also decentralizes the power. It it allows Mm -hmm. for people that have different backgrounds, all different types, experiences, and perspectives to be involved in the growth of a company instead of these single pillar individuals or venture firms that look pretty identical, have pretty identical <laughs> philosophies. Right. And right. To your point as well, it's like Angel for me, my, you know. It's money that I'm, like, kissing goodbye forever mentally. Right. You,
0: you pretend know. it doesn't exist exactly. anymore. You're like, I'm flushing this down the toilet, it's but, very, like, I feel good about it. It's altruistic almost. It's
1: altruistic. <laughs> There's definitely the opportunity for a return, and I would never invest in a company if I didn't feel that there was that opportunity. But I love, like, shared earnings models or things that might be more accessible for small investors like myself who the chance of like an exit for some of these companies is small. It's quite small. They might have a very successful lifestyle business for decades, and never have an exit, you know, like for the good trade. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll ever sell the company, and I certainly—I was going to ask you, it.
0: yeah. What do you? Has that changed? Like, have yeah. you? Did you think that you were going to sell or get acquired at some point? And like, has having a baby changed? Yeah, I
1: was just going to say the week—the <laughs> week I returned from maternity leave, I took two calls for <laughs> <laughs> we, we call You're Like, like let see. I'm like, let's tell me how much valuation. Um, And, you know, no, I don't, I'm not interested now because partly I think the lever for that would be if I felt that I could no longer like do right by the company myself or that there was, Mm. you know, it was going beyond where I could help and nurture it. And at this point, I feel that the team Mm -hmm. that I have now and the existing leadership, like we're growing we're nurturing this company, we're doing well by Mm -hmm. the readers, we're doing well by the assets of the company, being the site, the social channels, the newsletters, the different channels that we have. If someone came to me and was like, we have this vision to like take your beautiful child and make it so much bigger and so much more impactful. And I felt confident that they could do that, that's interesting to me, you know, because I I care about the mission um, of the work. But at this moment, I'm like, well, then what would I do? I don't want to retire. I don't want to start something new again. <laughs> so I think right, right. The decision to sell is extremely personal and is extremely like, you know, for me, it would matter so much like where my team ended up and how that mm. felt. So long and short, probably
0: no sales. Here's my sort of spiritual perspective on anything creative. It It's very much adapted from Liz Gilbert's big magic. But yeah. I think that these ideas we get just like land on our shoulder and they're not ours. Just like, I don't know. I don't think children are really Absolutely. ours. We're just the vessel that they come through. And just like with children, it's our responsibility to help them grow and give them everything they need to like fulfill their potential and what they want to be. And after a certain point, you might not be the person who can continue to support that growth. Just like we send kids off to college, we send them to go get married, to go be them their own selves in the world. And I think that our businesses or our creative projects are often the same. And sometimes we can be that that guiding light, you know, that mentor, the one that knows best for all of um, a project's lifetime. Yeah. And and other times we reach a threshold where. We just don't have the skill set to continue yeah. to support it the way that it needs to be supported. And we either need to go learn how to do that or we need to pass it off to someone who can because it's kind of – that's like what our responsibility is. So I don't know what will happen first if, if I'll need to pass it off, a holisticism off to somebody else. But I'm – I'm open to whatever's supposed to happen. I think that's the perfect perspective. Amy And it's always so good to see you and chat mm-hmm. with you. I just think that you're such a sparkly light and I wish there were more founders and investors like you. So I, yeah, I want you to keep doing the good trade forever so you can be a, <laughs> a lighthouse for us. But what are you excited about that you're working on That's that's coming up?
1: We have just a lot of wonderful content through the end of the year that's very focused on, like, helping to nourish people as they transition back into a new normal. And Mm. I think that's a huge part of our message this year is, like, don't try to force your old energy. Don't try to force your old Mm. schedule, your old dot, 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 like – move into a new way of living a lot of that is I think Mm -hmm. fueled also by this personal transition and transformation that I've been in it's like we entered the pandemic and I did not have a child and now I am a mother and I have to think about you know wellness and life totally differently and I think similarly a lot of our readers are in that same boat whether or not they've had that particular life change we've all had just massive amounts of, mm. of change and transition in our lives. So we're here to really listen and serve our community through this, this end of year. And so we have a lot of really wonderful resources we're planning.
0: Beautiful. Well, oh, this was so fun. Thank you so much for making the time for us. Yeah. And Amy, and how can people support you and The Good Trade?
1: Yeah, check us out at thegoodtrade.com. Our newsletter, The Daily Good, is a great way to start with our community. It's a daily quick roundup of like sustainable recipes, podcasts, that type of thing.
0: It's so good because it's so short. It it's is, like it's perfect. You can so read great. it in 10 seconds and it's like exactly what you want.
1: Thank you. We, we love it. We pour a lot of love into it and we make it like really fresh and very simple. And then we're on social. up good trade. So everyone can check Beautiful. us out there.
0: This was great. Thank you. Thank
1: you. So good to connect with you.
0: And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to the 12th House podcast. We are nothing without you. So, and we are a small podcast of independent creators and we are so grateful when you share this with your friends, when you share it on social media, when you uh, share your favorite quotes, it really means a lot to us because this is definitely a labor of love and, and we are just so grateful and that you listen and, and the more you listen and the more you share, the better guests we can bring the cooler sponsors and free things we can give to you. And the more we can, we can put into it. So we appreciate you. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your week and I'll talk to you on Friday. Bye.